Hello, and welcome to the NPRD podcast with nurse practitioner and registered dietitian Robin Kivit. Eating disorders, body image, medicine, they are all interconnected. But with so many programs, techniques, and advice to choose from, it's easy to be overwhelmed. Robin, with more than 25 years of experience as a nurse practitioner and registered dietitian, offers help and hope for everyone, families, children, and adults. Along with veteran talk show host and good friend, Jordan Rich, Robin invites you to learn much more right here on the NPRD podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the NPRD. This is our second October edition, and we are very grateful to have Lauren Manasseh here with us. Thank you, Lauren, for being on. My pleasure. So Lauren and I have worked together for quite some time. Lauren is one of the founding members of the Greater Boston Wellness Collaborative, of which I'm a member, and she is a licensed social worker and a certified eating disorder supervisor and trained in EMDR. What did I leave out, my dear? Um, I think my NASW friends would say, don't forget to say I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. Um, Got it. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for correcting me. I know. I know. Exactly. Exactly. So yes, and I'm a a certified eating disorder supervisor and specialist. Mm -hmm. Technically. So yeah. Yeah. And yes, and I've been doing EMGR for a while lately and I'm just loving it. So I'm glad we're going to talk about it. I guess one of the things I thought we could just really talk about most specifically was EMDR, but I'd love to know how in your work and in your career journey and probably in your personal journey too, as part of that, you came to EMDR as something that you wanted to practice with your patients. Mm -hmm. Such a big question. Um, It is. I'm sorry. No, don't apologize. But are you ready for a big answer? I am. My daughter says, mommy, I have a question. I say, I have an answer. So let's, yeah, big answers are good. Good. All right. So, well, I think it probably goes all the way back to graduate school, which for me was like in the 1900s. (laughs) Um, And I really, really, it sounds crazy, but uh, the late 1980s, and I was at, I don't know if anybody out there listening will know of um, a place called the Mass Mental Health Center, which is where I was training in 1988 and 89. And mm-hmm. uh, I do like to name drop. So I'm going to just name drop that. Please. Bessel yeah, Bessel van der Kolk was like in the basement working with lab rats um, when I was upstairs doing clinical work. And uh, he was sort of working on these early foundational pieces of understanding trauma, you know, and Jim mm. Herman was in Cambridge on the same topic. And when I was in graduate school, you know, during that time, you know, we were really taught about, you know, psychodynamic therapy and theory, and it's, you know, you're just, it's talk therapy. And that's all absolutely part of the work. But what was beginning to happen was people realizing that A, trauma existed, B, talking about trauma isn't always the only way to get at it. And we, and there had to be other ways to access it because trauma really lives in our bones, in our you know nervous system. Yes. And yeah. As you, you know, right. So, so that was kind of the beginning of really thinking about, you know, I, I loved what I learned in graduate school and I, you know, I use all of that information, but over the last three decades, it's become much more apparent to me that, 
particularly where there's any kind of a trauma, um, we've got to find other ways to understand it and help people metabolize it, you know, kind of move that energy. So a number of years ago. Can I um, ask you one question? Yeah, there? Sure. So, so prior to your years in grad school, then was there not such a big believing sort of piece that there was trauma and that this existed as part of the presentation of folks that, you know, are, are the group that you and I see, you know, curious about that. That's a great question. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I think it was certainly acknowledged, but, um, but it, I don't think it was really understood the way that we can understand it now. You know, I think people just had right. the work at that point, just like they hadn't done the work on eating disorders. I mean, I feel like yes. the last, I have felt so privileged to be part of this particular Boston community because so much of <laughs> the work, I mean, I know that so much work has been done here in this area on so many of these issues and they're all connected, of course, we can talk about that more. This is going to sound probably a little too cerebral for some people, but I read, I don't know <laughs> if you know about this, but no, when I was, when I was in graduate school, we were studying Freud and actually Anna Freud, his I think, granddaughter was one of the professors there. She, wow. she, was, she was a social worker. Yeah. She just actually just died. Um, she was very old um, and had been doing this work a long time. But she, but but Freud talked about years, you know, in the early 1900s about this belief that he realized that the women who were being labeled as, you know, if you remember the term hysteria. Yes. You know, right. And so people might have heard about that. You know, you might think of like somebody crying and screaming and, and being you know, kind of off the wall. Well, what he was doing in his work was realizing that many of these women who did not seem to be doing well actually likely had pretty serious trauma sometimes yeah. it was right it was often mm -hmm. you know abuse within the family or and so this was kind of way ahead of his time mm -hmm. and then what happened was and i'm not going to go into all the details of it but basically he he reneged on that he took it back and um kind of said that it, it's it's it he just he kind of spun on his, you know, heels and, uh, but it's, and for, I think a lot of political reasons probably, but I think that was a huge setback then for us back in the huge day. Huge setback. Right. Like, right. So, yeah. So, but, so this is the kind of thing that had clearly been thought about and, and under, tried to be understood for a long time, but, um, but then it went away. So thank goodness. Um, I think, I think a lot of work that we know about um, started to come through after, you know, the Vietnam War, right? And people talk a lot about with right. PTSD, right? That term post-traumatic stress disorder. If, I mean, maybe you can help me with this, but I feel like that started to be, I, I don't know when it was coined. I would want to say probably late. Do you know actually when it was coined? Actually, I don't know that, but I'm going to find that out. Um, I do think you're right. I do think it was more... You know, it certainly even in the literature early on relates to veterans. Shell shock, right? After, yeah. you know, quote unquote, right? And then, yeah, it got kind of renamed. And yeah, I feel like all these things were happening at a time which, you know, the world needed to understand that people weren't just messed up, you know, or right. crazy. They actually had experienced tremendous trauma. And I'm going to thread this in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up for a second because I know you had a question. But um, but one of the things is, as we kind of talk about EMDR that I find so helpful um, is the idea that trauma is in and of itself a brain injury. And I feel like that when I, when I read that, I thought, wow, that is, mm. that is so helpful to conceptualize it like that. 
Mm. It makes a lot more sense to me as you say it like that, because, you know, when we do initial intakes and part of that is saying, asking, have there been concussions? Right. You know, like it's, it's not the same, but I feel like in some ways we can, it just makes more sense to me the way you just said it. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. That was in a book. And I I can recommend if people are interested in learning more about it as we talk about it. um, A book that I recently read is by Deborah Korn, who actually I had my first training with her on EMDR. Wow. Probably easily 25 years ago. And when it was, again, sort of all the or 20, something like that, all being kind of discussed. She was at Cambridge Hospital. It was a great conversation. And I thought this sounds like mumbo jumbo <laughs> like mm-hmm. or something. I was like, how does that, how does that even work? That makes no sense. Um, but she recently um, published a book along with a client, um, not of her, of hers, but they basically kind of co-wrote this piece. And and one of the things that you know she says in there is this statement that trauma is a brain injury. And yeah, I tell that to my clients all the time. Who, you know, I don't know if you experience this, Robin, but you know, when we use the word trauma, my experience is that by and large, people get they shrink from that term, Either right? They, they because do, right? Yeah, and I wonder if if it's well, it's multifactorial, but I wonder if part of it's shame. I wonder if part of it's stigma. Um, And then thinking, oh, okay, now now what? (laughs) You know, how can I get better? How can I feel better? What does this mean about me? What did I do again? Going back to, I think, some of the shame. Or, or, and, and actually all those things and, you know, oh, it's not that bad. Right. You know, right. Not, right. Right. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and lately, you know, there are these terms, you know, big T, little T trauma and, and, you know, you know, sort of, you can kind of guess what that is yeah. you know, trying to convey, but I have to say lately, I've not been thinking about it like that at all. Trauma is trauma is trauma. Yeah. <laughs> so, I actually really appreciate the way you explain that too. Yeah. I've heard other clinicians say, well, you would treat big T trauma this way and little T trauma mm-hmm. that way. Very mm-hmm. specific to medication pieces, mm-hmm. quite honestly, yeah. but not shifting that it is actual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think that when a patient then is explained this and it's validated for them and held in the work, mm-hmm. Then moving forward, and this is not a part of today because I want to get specifically to EMDR, but then moving forward, parts, you know, I think of it are, you know, trying to explain that to somebody who doesn't understand is really challenging. And I think this does bring us to EMDR, actually, because it's hard for some people, even clinicians, to understand how it works and mm-hmm. if it works. So right. just for folks who don't know, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So I'd love to hear, you know, I guess kind of moving on if it's okay to go to yes. that. Like what, what, when you and I met, you weren't doing EMDR. This was right. like many years ago, yeah. it wasn't that yeah. many, but it's many enough for, right. for yeah. you know, for our purposes. But it sounds like you had a very early education and experience around trauma in its mm-hmm. roots yeah. of, yeah. you know, 
learning how to work with patients who have experienced it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been doing this work a long time, obviously, since it's been like the 1900s now. So, <laughs> so I, and I'm, I'm a person who I'm not, I like learning new things. Like I get, like, honestly, I get a little bored if I don't have some new tools to, yeah kind of pull out of my toolkit, or at least Mm -hmm. I feel a little stale, right? Like I feel like I know myself enough to know that that's part of what keeps me enlivened in the work. And if I'm enlivened, that's going to help my clients sort of show up better too, right? I Um, completely agree with you. I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. You know, the same, the same way. It's not just keeping on top of it to say you're keeping on top of it. It's so that when you show up with them, Right. They know and they can feel that and they are, right. you know, able to, I think, tap into motivation, which can sometimes be really hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. So so that's sort of one thing about me is that, you know, I, right, I, I want to be as present as possible to allow other people to be as present as possible, right, which is what we want. So so I'll just give you all that. Yeah, I'll sort of do a mini retrospective here. So, yeah, so I kind of, you know, had really early interest around this. And then I, my first job out of graduate school was with um, five to 12 year old kids who had been removed from their homes because of generally because of really serious trauma and neglect. And, you know, when you're working with kids that young, um, who've already experienced an, an unimaginable trauma, um, right. You know, it makes you feel a little helpless and yeah. sort of, there have to be other ways that I can think about who this child is, how can I help them to make sense of what happened to them mm-hmm. and help them heal, you know, and feel whole again. And so I read a book, uh, my dear supervisor, can I name my dear supervisor? To yes, please. Di- Diane Green, who's a doc- doctor, um, a PhD, a psychologist, was my, my clinical supervisor at New England Home all those years ago. And she recommended this book and she was my number one amazing trainer on this. And when I read this book, Strong at the Broken Places by Lynn Sanford, which I refer to people, people to rather, and I still have copies of it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it was sort of one of these earlier books that I would give to clients too, to talk about, you know, you, yes, bad things have happened to you. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't yes. mean you're a bad life, right? It actually means right. you survived something like a Vietnam, a, a veteran has survived. You lived through something that we can't even imagine somebody could live through. And here you are, right? So maybe that actually means that you actually have resilience that you didn't even right. know you had, right? And we're going to tap into that. And so anyway, that's, I want to just sort of go all the way back. And then, and then several trainings into trying to get some new ways of thinking about doing the work. I did a year-long training in narrative therapy, which to my mind is a real precursor to internal family systems therapy, Mm -hmm. which completely to me at this point, getting to EMDR really relates to EMDR because what you're doing, if, if people know about narrative or IFS, is you're really looking at these different parts of ourselves. You know, you're looking for all the ways in which um, trauma can disrupt a kind of a, a natural, healthy, you know, um, development. You know, of, right. our, of ourselves, right? So, so but um, we start believing different things about ourselves. Yes, exactly. Which and is exactly, when yes, and when we're 
you know, referencing your age group, they're your population, your children, when Mm -hmm. these things are happening to them at such young ages by the folks that they are actually supposed to be superiorly attached to, it's pretty devastating. It is. Long-term. It is. Yeah. So, so anyway, so all this to say, for many years, I was doing a lot of work with, um, you know, with kids that age, with adolescents who also were, you know, had experienced trauma. And again, the, the, the really sad thing is that we, you know, if we look at statistics, we know that, you know, probably most everybody who's ever lived a life has experienced something mm-hmm. that, hurts, that still hurts, you know, and I don't care how big or little it is. We walk around with that pain. Right. Whether and most of us right. walk around with it being quite invisible. And so, right. I mean, and whether we're masking yeah. it to ourselves or to the outside world, you know. Um, so what these kind of theory therapies offer is to help make what that what that experience is inside more visible, more talk aboutable, you know, bring it to the surface, bring it to the light. Um, so anyway, well, and as you said yeah. earlier. Trauma lives in our bodies. Uh, this might have been offline prior to you and I. I can't no. remember, but um, you know, it lives in us in physical ways too. So I think one of the pieces of EMDR that's so profound, at least that I've experienced, and I that I've experienced, and I've seen other people experience, patients, is that those physical pieces can be shifted you know, obviously in our, in our brains too, but they're so intimately connected. Um, we can feel better in many different ways. So, so I got really excited about EMDR because, and Robin and I, I know Robin, obviously you talk about this. We work primarily with uh, folks who have disordered eating and eating disorders and horrible body image, you know? Right. And so EMDR is so helpful um, for folks who are experiencing that kind of difficulty in their life. I mean, needless to say, having a, an, an illness that can be very ravaging to somebody's body, mind, spirit, soul, life, um, that's pretty traumatizing. So, mm-hmm. and also, um, yeah, that stuff kind of gets trapped, trapped in their bodies, you know? So, so it became really evident to me that using non, so not so much like, in, 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 you know, analytical kind of conversations was going to maybe necessarily get us somewhere. We have to, you know, it's become clear to me that just talking about, you know, getting better, talking about what somebody wants um, for sure with eating disorders, isn't going to make the changes happen. Okay. Again, that, yeah, I think you and I are on the same page. I mean, we are right. It can take a long time to get there, but um, change actually has to happen in behaviors at some point with people who are struggling with eating disorders, or they're going to continue to, you know, manifest themselves that way. So with EMDR, the way that I like to think about it is um, I'm a big metaphor person. So Mm -hmm. it's really helpful helpful for me to think about this. And I'm not a doctor, so, or, you know, medical practitioner, you know, practitioner, but you'll tell me if this is wrong. But the way I like to think about it is if you're thinking about trauma being a brain injury, imagine that trauma kind of um, hits somewhere in your brain and it's like it builds up a piece of scar tissue, right? Some kind of scarring that's left there, right? You can function still, maybe it doesn't hurt all the time and, you know, you don't maybe notice it, but there's something there that's sticking, you know, <laughs> that's getting things stuck, right? Yeah. And what the way that EMDR works 
and nobody really knows. I have to be really frank about this. There's, there's been That's lots of true. Right? Yeah. There's been a lot of studies on this, but nobody exactly knows why it works, but it does, is that the process of doing this in EMDR, which is, and I'll talk more about this, is bilateral stimulation, um, which I'll talk about in a second, I promise, um, is that it somehow begins to break down the scar tissue. It somehow begins to allow or use an image of like an ice cube, it sort of allows that ice cube to start to melt. And so that there's more flexibility, there's more plasticity, you know, in our mm. brain to be able to kind of find our resilient place. And um, so specifically what EMDR is, do, we're doing with EMDR is we're doing two things. Um, where we are, uh, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting, I know there's, Cut this part out. Stop. Yeah, he'll cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and Lauren, Lauren, we have we have about five minutes. Okay. Left, All right. So I'll do it sorry. I'll do it really quick. I'll do it really quick. Um, okay, hold on. Let me just make sure I have my thought real quick. Um hold on, hold on. I had two different thoughts about two different things. Processing and you were talking about how it works and the bilateral. Yes, thank you. Okay, we can start again. Let me know. Okay. Yep. So um What's happening with EMDR while you're doing it is you're basically having somebody experience what's happening in the present with, with the therapist um, while they're talking about something from the past that is troubling. Mm. So when I, when I mentioned bilateral stimulation, which is a big fancy way of saying that each side of your brain <laughs> is getting some kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, some kind of information in it at different times. So think of it almost like, um, you know, you know, you're walking, right? Think about that, mm -hmm. like you're moving one step, and then another step, one step, another step. So with EMDR, while somebody's talking about this troubling thing, or thinking about this troubling thing from the past, they're also having this experience of having either a tone in one ear and then the other, like a ping pong ball, basically, you know, and actually yes. sometimes, you know, have neurotech that people can watch a ball or they're watching my hand going back and forth and back and forth, or they're tapping their feet. Um, I have in my office, I have little buzzer thingies um, and they hold them in each hand and <laughs> the buzzer goes buzz in one hand, buzz in the other. And something about that process seems to kind of break down that scar tissue as they're talking about it. So we're, we're looking at if somebody's discussing a target, something that was really troubling from them in the past, which is what we do with the MDR is we find something that really was hurtful and we can start with smaller ones, but often we want to go, we want to get to the point where we can get into the bigger ones. To a, um, and is it fair to say like a bigger memory? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. it, what, what, what my supervisor says, it's either the first or the worst. <laughs> Got so, it. Okay. You can, yeah. You can, and, and again, if somebody's, there's much more to say about this, but you you really want to titrate in what you, you know, what you target based on how that person is, what they're, what they feel capable of doing, you know, how resourced they're going to be. Um, but then, yeah, you're doing this back and forth where you're really, if there's a lot, there's very little talking that I'm doing as a therapist. So we might, you know, we're going to put out, okay, so what's the thing that you're bothered by from the past? And what was the message that that told you about who you were, right? What's the yeah. story you were talking about this before? Right? What's the story that you tell yourself about who you are because that terrible thing happened? And then what is what what is it you prefer to believe about yourself? And there are eight phases to EMDR. And so again, sort of rushing a little bit here, but just to sort of say that, you know, we're, we're going to identify each one of these phases and and slowly as they're doing this bilateral stimulation, 
and you know we're they're talking and I'm not talking and they're kind of just letting this memory wash over them, um, they find themselves in a new place. The energy re releases itself. And this doesn't mean that there's magic and it can happen. I mean, it can happen. People's levels of distress can go so far down, which is what we're looking for, how upset they are about something that happened in the past. You want to get it to like, they're not upset about it. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean they don't have feelings, but it doesn't carry the same weight that it did. That might have been holding them back right so so yeah so it's it's remarkable to watch sometimes within a matter of minutes i notice people really yeah. settling sometimes it can take months and months and months of the same thing processing over and over till it really releases its hold on them and they can really begin to believe what they want to believe about themselves which is not that they're messed up, you know, or that they're never going to be loved by anybody, but they're good enough. You know, the new right. story is able to be, you know, kind of installed there. So, and, you know, I know, you know, a little bit about this, so isn't it, and it's fascinating to watch. And I love being able to get out of the way and let people just do this process while I'm there witnessing with them and kind of helping them do their own journey. Well, I think it's an honor. It you is. know, I always say that to the patients that I work with. And we only have a couple of seconds left and I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Because I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on this. Yeah. Just like leaving it from here. So I think we'll we'll do that. We'll have you back again. Um, one of the things I think can happen with EMDR is, and you were explaining it, but just to say it maybe a little differently is, an individual can learn to really have compassion for themselves and what they experienced oh, yeah. and can mm -hmm. go say from not even being able to do something as simple to someone mm -hmm. else as putting their hand on their heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone can be able to do that. And that is, a, it is, is very profound. So it's, thank you for saying that. And and, and I've also discovered that they can have compassion for the other person if there was another yes. involved in the trauma, traumatic experience, even if it was somebody who was hurting them. You, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's yes. really remarkable. There's this forgiveness. There's this sort of return to essence. I know I use that word kind of, it sounds a little woo-woo, but I think that's the thing where all these traumas kind of get us away from who we really are, you know? Yeah. You know, we're good people. We're pure. We, you know, we don't want to hurt this way. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful to be with people when they're doing this. So I'm glad you said that. So my dear, thank yes. you beyond. I we know. will have you back on. <laughs> and I am just grateful to always be able to work with you and have you as a colleague and a friend in terms of your everything. Thank you very much. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the NPRD podcast with Robin Kivit. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate and review us and share this valuable podcast with friends and family. Help and hope is found here. For more, just go to robinkivit.com. That's R-O-B-Y-N-K-I-E-V-I-T.com or check out the NPRD.com.